1: This is God's truth in action.
0: Welcome to Engaging Truth. I'm Reverend Dr. Douglas Kringle, and here today with us is our guest, Reverend Stephen Hauer. Steve, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to be with you.
0: I understand you just just came back from Israel. How was Israel?
1: We did. We just rolled back. And, um, you know, we always, we pray every day. I, I do a devotion every morning on the bus. We use a psalm. And uh, and we pray for what's about to happen, and we prayed that God would provide good weather, safe travel, and access to all the places that we wanted to visit. And it was it was an incredible trip. We just hit, even up north, where you can sometimes have snow this time of year, or it can be rainy and nasty and windy. We had like seventy degree weather. And because it's January and Americans, it's a big secret. You should never go to Israel in January. Tell everybody that, because that's when I go. And uh, we, we had incredible access to everything. I mean, there was no waiting in lines, even in the Church of the Nativity, to go down uh, into the grotto there. Just walked right in, went straight down. I mean, just stuff that never happened. So uh, in answer to your question, it was an incredible time. We had over 50 people. And... Um, it was it was just I have an excellent guide I've used a few times, and it just went extremely well. We were blessed.
0: If you had to pick one location on the tour, one interaction, one experience that was just you're going to remember that one, what would it be?
1: Yeah, I, I, every day I would say this is my favorite place. You know, and they start <laughs> laughing because everyone everyone was just exceptional. I think walking through Hezekiah's tunnel, you know where he he built a. Uh, a wallow tunnel to the spring of Gihon, uh, to the uh, uh, Salome Pool was was just really incredible. But I, personally, for me, it's going up to the house that's been designated as uh, Caiaphas's house, where Peter made his denial. Uh, in the excavation, it was clearly a, a rich Jewish man's home, and there were dungeons underneath it that they discovered. And so to think that Christ was held in that dungeon and, and that's where the trial took place. I tell you, I, I can't go down there and not be moved. And we were there. We, we weren't crowded. We could, we could sing a Lenten hymn and just contemplate uh, Christ's suffering and his isolation from others during that time. It, that, that's just always moving. The stairs that are cut into the hillside there, they go all the way from where the upper room was all the way down to the Kidron Valley and over to Gethsemane. It shows a relief there of him going down after the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and there's another relief there of him being bound in ropes and being pulled up for the trial. That's that's just a moving place for me.
0: Well, Both Hezekiah's tunnel and what you just described have to do with people being bound and freed. And of course, that's the whole message of the gospel. We want people who are bound in sin to be freed by the gospel. I understand you've worked with a group called Growing Church Conference, as well as the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's missions field, and Pastoral Leadership Institute. All these things are related to mission. How would you apply what you learned on your trip to Israel with a mission field today?
1: Well, I think it's mission in action. You know, uh, Christians are in the minority there, definitely. uh, Most of the people are either Jewish believers and sometimes Jewish nationalists who are almost agnostic, who who are bound by their love for the country and for their traditions, but not necessarily religious. And then there's uh, Palestinians, but some of the Palestinians are Christian in Bethlehem. No Jews live in Bethlehem. So all, all Palestinians, West Bank area. Um, and there are also Palestinian Muslims. One of my good friends that I've known for years there was a bus driver years ago for me. I had dinner with him and his family. Uh, his oldest son was there, whose name Muhammad, and it was just an incredible opportunity to to witness to these folks, and and um, it, it applies to our discussion today. That our job is to share the message. You know, we aren't in results; we are just in exposure. And you and you'll never convince, no matter how good you are, with apologetics or even able to prove the things that that we believe and know to be true. Uh, you won't you won't prove anybody into faith that's the work of the Holy Spirit and it's it's helpful to remember that you know whether you're here in America or whether you're overseas to to not be bashful you know to be bold in your faith but to uh, leave room for the spirit of God and 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 just cast the seed out there and let God give the growth
0: well I know that at the time of Jesus Jerusalem was uh, going towards a time of great distress. In 70 AD, there's going to be a destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus predicts this. In our time, we have going through some very difficult things too, especially a worldwide pandemic. And COVID has really affected the church from my perspective in my parish. Do you see COVID as affecting the church greatly? And if so, how might we go about growing the church in this post-COVID era?
1: Well, it definitely has uh, laid some challenges down. Uh, we had a place in Florida for years and I became very close to the Christian pastor in that in that location. And um, I attend a, a Lutheran church here in Pacific. Joe Sullivan is uh, the pastor there out in Pacific. And um, And then I also sometimes will attend with my son who goes to a church in town. It's a non-denominational, but really good pastor, conservative pastor and they have a Saturday service, so occasionally it fits my schedule better to, to go with them. And all those churches are booming, doing well. And I, I think they haven't compromised their message. You know, this idea of, of uh, inclusion and tolerance of, of the culture and bending for the culture to make it more relevant for the culture, uh, you know, I think, I think that's not helping any. You know, We have to maintain our voice you know, and, and know that there's power in the truth of God's word. You know, as Isaiah 55 says, you know, my word is become it will not return to me void like rain and snow that fall to the ground. You know, it will not return without bearing fruit. And I just think as, as leaders and as whether you're a pastor, whether you're a, a lay leader, you know, we've got to hold that message. Even if it challenges people, uh, you can speak the truth in love. I always say that love without truth is not true love. It's not true love. But uh, truth without love or without compassion has no impact. So you don't get to choose. You you have to be both of those things, law and gospel, right? And and they have to come in equal measure.
0: You actually have written several books on that topic, and one of them was Man in the Middle. Who is this man, and what does it mean that he's in the middle?
1: Yeah, uh, the man is a godly man. But he's not especially a strong Christian, you know. He's kind of a creaster, you know, Christmas and Easter, and you know he considers himself a Christian. But it's the first novel I've ever written. Every other book was more of a, a biblical analysis of of um, whatever the situation. People who were stressed out and were looking for serenity. In my book, Serenity Principles, or or my book on leadership, Sharpening the Sword: How do leadership principles it, it apply to to the Bible and was the Bible has to say about those, but this this I wanted to I wanted to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. You know, we the Constitution of the United States says we hold these truths to be self-evident. Is that still a thing? Is there a natural knowledge of God? Now, you know, and I know that yes, there is, and and so I think we can. This this guy was challenged by God in an angelic visitation uh, to write. He, he's a retired editor, but his company still wants him to write a blog uh, on the Internet because no one's buying papers anymore. And, and so they wanted to go international with, with a, a posted blog that could be accessed from anywhere. And so he's convinced to do this uh, by his paper, but also by God, to use this for a voice. And so I call him in the middle because uh, he's not especially a strong Christian, but he knows there's right and wrong. There's good, there's better and best. And he believes in self-evident truth. And then he runs into some people. Mordecai is a is a, uh, a middle aged black individual that he believes is maybe sent by God as an angel to guide him through some things. He has strong Christian friends, and, and so while he's not especially Christian, he does believe there's truth. So he's kind of in the middle, and and he learns about the truth of God's word uh, through the process of writing these columns, and he and he tackles all the all the difficult issues of our day whether it be gender issues, whether it be the abortion issue, or whether it be, you know, whatever, the racial issue. And, and so I wanted to get at those things, but I didn't want to get to them as kind of a preacher, you know, kind of a kind of a dogmatic guy. I, I wanted this guy to learn about these things and then write about them after he learned about them. And, and so, you know, kind of uh, ease people into the truth of God about that. So uh, that's what he does, and that's why I wrote the book that way.
0: So being the man in the middle doesn't sound very serene. And you wrote another book about serendipity, serendipity principles, you noted. These books, I believe you can find at howerbooks.com, if I understand correctly.
1: Yeah, thank you for mentioning it. We didn't know that we were gonna go there, but yeah, howerbooks.com is a website and you can look at the books, you can examine the books. I've written five books and you can also purchase them there. So um, yeah, uh, Serenity Principles was the name of that book. And, and they all grew out of my experience as a pastor you know, it, it kind of bugged me that, I mean, we all have setbacks in life. We aren't spared the storms. You know, when Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount and said, you know, one man built his house upon the rocks, another man built his house upon the sand. What they had in common was they both suffered storms. But one sto- one man who heard the word of God and applied it in his life stood fa- stood fast. And and so um, that's, that's the point of serenity principles. It, it bothered me that people would Go through a financial setback or the death of a child, and and I get that that'll that'll shake your world. But shouldn't there be some reserve, or you know, in a Christian's faith, shouldn't it make a difference? You know, shouldn't we be able to, you know, eventually pull out of that and that become a strength in our life? And so I wrote that book, Serenity Principles. It's kind of based on the Serenity Prayer as well. You know, um, about help me accept the things I can't change, but the courage to change the things I can, and. Um, that book has been really, really helpful. It's still, people still buy that book. I I hear from people all over the country uh, that have found that book somehow and, and are reading it.
0: Well, I know at our church, we have AA meeting twice a week, and they're certainly seeking serenity for sure. I don't think it's just people struggling with alcohol. There's plenty of other people struggling with various other changes that would love some peace in their life, a peace the Bible says comes to us supernaturally through Jesus Christ. You notice this belief in the book, Contrary to Popular Belief. First of all, the title of the book is talking about a belief system and that some of beliefs are contrary to popular sittings. And again, that seems to lead towards more conflicted situation than a peaceful situation. Uh, What is the Contrary to Popular Belief book about? In what are these things that are so contrary to Christian belief?
1: Again, that came out of, you know, after you preach a sermon, you know, you're rushed by, you know, dozens of people who want to ask you more things and and they'll say, I believe that, but my brother doesn't believe this. You know, I, I can't, I can't get him to believe this. And I say, well, your, your brother's right. You know, because, because these things are understood by faith. And, and so, you know, that book talks about was Jesus a good man or was he a God man? Is is prayer magic uh, or is it powerful? And, all you know, is it a holy day or is it a holiday? And, and so it, it deals with uh, the idea that the world sees things differently than we do. But we as Christian people approach things through the lens of faith. And, you know, the veil has been removed from for us you know, by God through faith in Jesus. And, and so I was just dealing with all those things that confuse people that, that we as Christians believe, you know, because without faith, you can't see these. First Corinthians two talks about that a lot, you know, that if they had believed these things, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. But, you know, we speak truth, but it's only perceived by faith. So that's what that book's about.
0: Perceived by faith. And the use of the word faith in the Bible could be a little different than, well, a lot different than what secular people mean by it. So today I drove over here in my car. There was a two-lane road, one lane going one direction, one lane going the other direction. And the only thing separating the two lanes was some paint on the cement. Yeah, yeah. So the person driving opposite of me, we agreed, we had a common belief that that paint was going to mean we don't run into each other that's a belief and it's based on reason. But we're talking about a different thing here when we're talking about the belief you just described in the Bible. Is that correct? And if so, how are these things different?
1: That's true. We don't have to guess what faith means. The Bible defines it in Hebrews chapter 11 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and conviction about things unseen. Uh, it's not that we don't have evidence. You know, we have strong, I was just in Israel. There's, there's strong evidence for the things that we believe. Uh, there's archeology. span There's the prophecies and fulfillment that no one questions. You know, we were at, at Qumran where they discovered the Isaiah scroll. You know, they questioned whether there was two Isaiahs because the prophecies about Jesus couldn't have been written until after they occurred. But, you know, when they discovered the Isaiah scroll, uh, they proved that these things were actually before the time of Christ, and these prophecies were real. So, but uh, it says, by these things, uh, men of old gained their approval, you know, by believing in the things that God said. It, it's not that we shouldn't have apologetics or, or defense of the faith. We, we should be schooled in that. But we believe these things because the Holy Spirit has convinced us. Uh, by, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God goes forth. And, and it brings about a change in a perspective. But, but while we are certain of these things, we should understand that not everybody has that, that perspective. And, and so we have to be cautious about that. Uh, although we have certainty, uh, we should be gentle. You know, it, s- it says, teach these things, Paul said to Timothy, with great patience. And, and so you know, we have to correct, rebuke, and teach with great patience these truths that we know to be true.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Sharpening the Sword was another one of your books. There's quite a list yeah. of books, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's five books there. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: great. So, what sword are we talking about fencing and why do we need it sharpened? And if so, how do we sharpen this sword?
1: Yeah, um, I wanted to call the book out of the ordinary actually, but CPH had different ideas about it when it was published, and you know, they uh, you know they work with you closely on that and the idea is that you know uh instead of working harder you should work smarter you know you should sharpen your blade so that it does its job better and and so if the blade is the word of god you know as it's described in hebrews 4 you know able to you know separate uh you know soul and body uh you know able to able to bring uh, into our hearts, the truth of God's word. I, I think that was their concept. But really, how that book grew up was I was I was a young pastor uh, when I started that book, and I and I had my staff was growing. I was in way over my head. I've always been in over my head. You know, more blessings than I can manage, and I needed to learn. And so I I read every book I could read, every biography, every autobiography I could read, Christian or not. Because I discovered that you know there's there's different ways you can find truth. You can run into a wall and know it's hard, or somebody can tell you you know if you're running that ho- that wall you know it's going to knock you down. And these people have discovered truth through, through trial and error. Some are Christian, and so some some applied God's word into their life, and some just found it through trial and error. But I, but when something's true, there's there's not God's truth and then the world's truth. There's just truth, uh, and we as Christian people have discovered that through through the inspiration of God, but others can discover it too. So if they discovered it apart from God, people who were not Christian, I'd say, well, where's that found in the Bible? And how is that principle taught? You know, whatever it would be. And and so it's a study of uh, 50 great leaders that are pretty well known. Uh, and where's the bi- biblical correlation to the principle that, that kind of um, – was the key principle in their life and in their leadership. So that's what that is. It's uh, each chapter stands on its own. You can you can look at the issue, whether it's patience or whether it's perseverance or whether it's, um, you know, uh, whatever, uh, discipline. Uh, you can look at those principles. You, you have a leader that you understand who, who demonstrated that principle, and then you find out what God's word has to say about that.
0: So what, what, that's been
1: a really good book for pastors to read.
0: What a wonderful way to learn to be a leader by studying leaders.
1: Oh, I, I read hundreds of biographies and autobiographies. I, re, I enjoy that better than a how-to book, you know, study leaders.
0: Well, this radio program we have on today is not your first time on the radio. You have a no. regular radio program, if I understand, called Real Talk. Yeah. And could you let us know a little bit if we wanted to hear more from you, Pastor Howard? and we wanted to go to your radio program, Real Talk, what would we expect to find there, and what are your current discussions about
1: well, uh, it's on. It's on a pro. It's on a radio station in in town. It's not a Christian radio station. It's just a talk a talk radio station, and it's one of the dominant ones uh, in the St. Louis region. In fact, it's heard throughout almost the entire state of Missouri and southern Illinois, and. Again, God brought this to my attention. I didn't seek this out. Somebody read my book, "Man in the Middle," and they said, "We'd like you to do a talk show. We'd like you to do it every day." I said, "I'm retired. I'm not coming into your office every day and doing a talk show." I said, "But I will do this. You know, I will uh, do an hour every weekend." That and, and they said, "Well, if you do that, can we uh, can we uh, broadcast it uh, twice on Sunday, like in the morning and then also in the afternoon?" I said, "That'd be awesome." And and so. Uh, I say that the the hour Hour is not here's here's my speech. The Howard Hour is not intended to be a devotional. It's not a sermon, not even a Bible study. It's better understood as a commentary on the issues of the day in the light of God's word. And and so I say things, I have freedom there that I would never say in the pulpit. You know, a sermon has a specific purpose. So I'm just trying to provide a godly perspective on what's going on in the world at the moment. and, and so that's what that program's about.
0: You know, the Howard Hour. hour is it a format where people call in and if there is such a time for the public to ask a question, what do you find people are asking about these days?
1: It's really not, you know, maybe someday I will get to that where I will do what you're doing, where I might interview somebody or have them connected with me, but I was traveling so much, you know, speaking here and there. And, and I had a place in Florida and I had a, a villa here in St. Louis and, uh, we've since consolidated our life to St. Louis. So it was really hard for me to to buy into that format. But uh, I may do that sometime. But it just really deals with the issues of the day, whether they be uh, gender issues, you know, uh, racial issues, you know, whatever is disturbing America about law and order, you know, uh, about police work. And so what does God's Word have to say about these things? You know, because I believe that God does, you know, provide some wisdom on these things. And I I find that uh, I I say, in fact, in the program, I said it's dedicated to address issues that most Christian leaders consider too confusing, too controversial, or too contentious, you know, to discuss with their people in the light of God's word. You don't want to start a firestorm, you know, in in your church, you know, because there's going to be every opinion there. But hey, I'm not in a church, you know, and and, uh, I do believe God's word comments on these things. And controversy is good for radio. And, and so, uh, so I can tackle these controversial issues and say, you know, as a Christian, based on this scripture, this is what I believe. This is what I hold to be true. So, it's, uh, it's been good, and the, the station people love it, and the program ratings are good. So, um, yeah, I've been doing it for more than a year now. So, you can find you can find my past. You can find them on the archive of the radio station. But maybe a better place, because there's a summary of, of each program, is on Podbean Podbean, uh, B-E-A-N, podbean.com, and just look under the Hauer Hour, and you can find you know more than 70 programs there with a title and a and a uh, brief synopsis of what that program's about.
0: Well, Pastor Howard, we very much appreciate your time here today, and we have just about a minute left in our time together. We learned a lot already, and I look forward to reading your books and going to your radio program. I'm sure many of our listeners will enjoy that as well. Would you be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer as we come to the end of our time?
1: Thanks for asking, and I appreciate your time and uh, the opportunity to share faith through this means. Gracious Lord, be with these folks wherever they are and however they happen to come to this to this uh, podcast or to this radio program and, and bless them, Lord, and help them to realize that uh, Christian witnessing is just being open with their life, practicing their faith in the eyes of others so that someone would be drawn to them. They are the salt and the light of the earth, but also uh, not being afraid to share the message of salvation, knowing that they don't have to convince, they cannot convince anybody to believe, but that's the power of the Holy Spirit working through the truth of God's word. So free them and and help them to enjoy the opportunity to be your witness uh, in their life, to their friends, to their family, to even strangers. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. Pastor Howard, thank you so much. And thank you to all those listening today to Engaging Truth. This is Reverend Dr. Doug Kringle saying thank you, and we'll see you next time. God's blessings.
1: Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.